So I was thinking about the birth of our first child uh, 19 years ago. Um, Elijah, we were living in Chicago, and um, this was before Facebook. Uh, wow. Uh, I was thinking of him, like, his kids are going to be like, wow, I grew up more before Facebook. Uh, or maybe the way things are growing won't be any Facebook uh, at that time. We'll see. But anyway, we didn't have an easy way to announce uh, that he was born, like you would now. And uh, I had just met a neighbor upstairs in our apartment complex, and uh, we had this beautiful start to a relationship. He was a believer, and just sort of, as we were talking, he said, are you a Christian? And he, and he, you know, he made me this, I said, see in your eyes, and I don't know what that was, but uh, we, had this great, we had this great conversation, and, and then a little while later, our first child was born, and I, I didn't go up and tell him, and this really upset him. He said, he finally found out, I said, did you have your baby? He said, he said, you know, why didn't you tell me? He was all upset. You know, I wanted to know. I want to celebrate with you. Um, he said, he even said, you know, when God brought Jesus, he proclaimed it in the heavens. You know, you should have told me that you had your baby. And he was right. I should have, I should have celebrated and said, you know, have you ever had that where something big happens and you failed to announce it properly? You ever had that where something important, something significant Something really um, historical in your life or otherwise happens, and you fail to announce it properly. Well, this passage that we're studying today is about celebrating, proclaiming something that is great and wonderful that we could pass by and do the same thing that I did with the birth of our first child and not proclaim it in the way that it should be. Would you open up to Mark chapter 4, verse 21? Mark chapter 4. Verse 21. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll hand one to you. It's on page 579 in that particular scripture. And I just realized I didn't change the scripture on that slide last month. Uh, Mark 4, 21 through 25, page 579 in that Bible we hand out. Don't be shy if you need the scripture. Please raise your hand. We're in our Forward Into series, and this is another installment. We're kind of bouncing through the Gospel of Mark and looking at the passages that speak specifically to what it means for us to be pouring of ourselves into other people's lives. Um, the hard thing is that just about every passage talks about that. So um, we're, we're picking and choosing. And today we're talking about this one. You can see your Bibles when they say, a lamp under a basket. So let me read this. Uh, chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. I want to talk about two possibilities this morning. I want to encourage us to, I'm going to say, put it out there, and I'll explain what I mean by that. And then I'm going to encourage us to take it in, which is the second part of this scripture. So first of all, what does it mean to put it out there? What do I mean when I say that? How do I get this from this text? The lamp in this text is Christ. In fact, it's kind of an awkward construction in the original language because it says, literally, does a lamp come in? 
as if a lamp can walk on its own. Because a lamp, the subject is that, that shining light that enters in. And so when you look at the Old Testament background, and when you look at um, the way that the lamp is used uh, in conjunction with other uh, with uses in the Old Testament, you see that the lamp often refers to the Messiah or to God. And so the, the best way to take this is the lamp is Christ himself. Does the lamp come in to be put under a basket? Now, this is a reference then to the whole messianic plan uh, that God has been working out over generations, and it's now being revealed before the disciples in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's saying to them, this revelation is to be lifted on high and to be placed so that people can be drawn to it, so people can see what is happening. It's as if throughout the entire Old Testament, God is is pregnant with some news that's coming, and he's developing and processing and leading towards this moment. And when Jesus comes on the scene, bang, the, the, the news is ready to be revealed. The mystery has been, has been made manifest. The hope, the light of the world has come, and it's to shine in the world. And you see this in passages like 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. We'll put, up, we'll put this up for you to be able to read along. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied in the Old Testament about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Can't you imagine them just sitting over those manuscripts being you know, uh, prompted by God to write these things, and they're just trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? When are you going to bring this all to fruition? And what it's gonna, what's it going to look like? I don't even know entirely what I'm, what, what's going on. I want to see the fulfillment of your promise. And they don't, they don't get to see it, but they write about it um, when you predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories that would come. And, and that was their predicament. But then in Colossians 1, 24, um, we see, uh, we see uh, that this is now coming to fruition. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, Paul writes, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. You know, the word most fully is Jesus Christ, but then the, 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 the testimony of Jesus written down, we call that the word as well. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what's happened, and this is the news that we're sitting on. And, and Jesus is saying, look, you don't take news like that that's radically transformative, that, that, that changes everything about who you are and everything about your world. You don't take news like that and just sit on it. You put it on a lampstand, and it shines. What if you were renting a new house or buying a house, and you walked in, and all the lights, you flipped on the light switch, and all the lights were in the covers. And then you went up into the bedroom, and you turn on the lights, and the light was under the bed. See, this is the image that, that, that uh, Jesus is using to help us to understand how absurd it is that we would sit on this incredible news 
and fail to shine it forth, to proclaim it, to project it into the world. When I do weddings, one of the favorite moments is at the very end, when you get to say, I present to you, right, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And everybody cheers and claps. Now, would you imagine what would a wedding be like if you left out that part? All the time they spent working on their relationship, all the time they broke it up and got back together, and, you know, all the, you know, reconciliation, and, and, and then meeting the families, and, and, and having uh, this, this decision to get married, and now all the planning, and people flying from all over the country, maybe even all over the world, and then they're, they're stressing about all the details, and we go through the whole process, and they're married, and then at the very end, we just slink away and don't say anything. Could you imagine? And the congregation is just left sitting there. And the bride and groom just sort of slide out the door and leave. I turn around and walk away. Absurd, right? But that's what it's like when we sit on news like we have and don't proclaim it, don't project it, don't shine it forth into the world. That's what Jesus is saying. You're, the, you're just a stick. You're not the light. Don't worry. Don't try to feel like you've got to be the light. But you are a stand. You are the lampstand upon which this light shines, sits, and shines forth. And you don't put this light under a bushel. You don't hide it under the bed. So I'm trusting we can get that a little bit in our hearts, because our hearts have to be connected to that reality before we can talk about, okay, well, what do you do? How do you do that? First, the most important thing is to understand, we are sitting on this incredible, powerful, beautiful news of the coming of the person of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of ages and generations who longed and waited to see what would God do with the sin problem in the world? How would he fix this broken world? And, 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 and all their efforts failed, and they waited, and they waited, and then Jesus came on the scene, and he proclaimed the good news, that he was here to redeem the world. All right. So what do we do? How do we, how do we become a lampstand, then, to shine forth that great news? And we've been using some common language uh, around here. The first thing, though, I think, is we have, to, we, have to be, we have to be transparent. We have to be honest about who we are with the people around us. One of the things that uh, makes me a little concerned about where we're at is when I hear people say things like, nobody at work knows that I'm a Christian. We just simply need to get it out with the people that are around us that this is who we are. In fact, you can't, if it really is who you are, you can't have meaningful relationship without sharing this aspect of it's core to your being. And so we need to just simply get it out there. This is who I am, whatever context. Maybe it's in your work setting or in your hobby setting, or maybe it's in you know any kind of setting that you find yourself in. To just sort of get it out there. And there are many ways that you can do that. You can say, you know, I was I was uh, at church this weekend or worshiping this weekend. You can say I was hanging out with my home group this week. You can say all kinds of things to indicate to people that this is open the conversation. This is a part of who you are. 
because you're a lampstand and you're supposed to be shining forth your faith. And then we develop some common language to talk about what does it mean to shine forth your faith. And we talk about uh, praying. Um, you put up this praying and asking and blessing and sharing and telling. And what I mean by that is you in relationship with other people, um, you can pray for them, you can ask about their lives, you can bless them if they have need, if you have opportunity to bless them. You can share what is going on in your life with them, and then you can tell them just straight up what exactly is this news that you have, this, this gospel. Let me give you a little coaching tips on a few of those. It's easy to remember. Pray, ask, ask, bless, share, tell. I'm not one to come up with formulas. I, I, I always balk against that, and yet sometimes some common language can be helpful. Um, for us, and so when you think about when you think about um, um, your relationships and where are you at, I want to encourage you to, to think about these. And let me give you some coaching thoughts on each one of them. This is as a way for you to shine your light forth very practically. First of all, prayer. Here's the coaching tip: prayer is a reminder for you that it's not about you. That you don't have to be the one to make the light shine. You just have to put it on the lampstand that is your life. You don't have to be in control of how people respond. You don't have to redeem the world. Jesus already taken care of it. You just are to proclaim and to give testimony to what God is doing. And prayer helps us to get into that place of proper humility and to remember that ultimately this is God's work. It's not our work. It's God's work through us. So first of all, we pray. Then we ask. And the little coaching tip I have on asking is this, is every person that is before you is an image bearer. And it's so easy to forget that. And when we forget that, we lose interest in the people that are around us. And we take them for granted. Um, one of the things that I sense and have watched and observed over my 22 years of marriage is that this is a piece that my wife understands very, very profound. Every human being that kind of crosses her path is exciting to her. And if you have crossed her path, you know that. Uh, she's taken your picture and wrote down your name. And, you know, she, because, uh, and it's not, I've watched her for 22 years, it can't be fake. Uh, it really is, you know, I walk into a room and I'm sort of like, okay, there's a thing and a person and another thing, and I almost, it's like I sometimes don't distinguish that well. My wife walks through, she sees nothing and people, right? They just leap for it, and, and people feel that, and the curiosity that comes from that, and it's, it's appropriate to the way God structured this world, because image bearers are the pinnacle. They're the most precious element, aspect of this world. And so for us to take interest in is not some technique or method, it's theology. For you to take interest in a person is theologically accurate. Because they're image bearers. Each person is an image bearer. And so, so enough on that. So ask, ask questions. Not because you're trying to get anything, because, but because this is a valuable person that God has made in his image. So then we bless, and this is our opportunity, I'll put my little tip up there, is the chance to be like Christ. When you ask people questions, you get to know who they are and what's going on in their lives, then you see very quickly that, that not everything is right and that there are needs there. 
And you may be the solution to those needs. You may be an answer to those needs. And, and that's what Christ was. Christ comes into our lives to be the solution to our problem, which is sin. In the same way, he sends us to be, in a very small sense, the solution to other people's problems, to help them, to bless them. And as you get to know people, you will find where the needs are. And you may just discover that you, in fact, can address the particular need, and it's going to cost you. It's going to require sacrifice of you. And that's the very moment when you get to be like Jesus Christ. Just like, not him, but like to be able to sacrifice and bring blessing to people. And then we talk about sharing. Um, what I mean by sharing is simply being transparent about the way in which your faith informs how you do life and how you work through struggles and how you address problems in your life. That's what it means. And so my key word there is, is transparent. To just be honest, and if, if you're genuinely living a life of faith, there are going to be ways, if you're praying and seeing God's answer to prayers in your life, there are going to be multiple ways in which you can share your struggles and how God is addressing those in scriptures. Uh, I was sitting with a group of my, my neighbor friends once, and I was going through a difficult time, and they asked, well, so how are you handling this? And I said, Psalm 18. And then I told them the story of Psalm 18, what it was about. An opportunity to just be transparent. This is no, honestly, this is how I'm surviving this moment in my life, and and that's what it means for us to share, to give testimony, not just to how God maybe brought you into His family way back when, but what is He doing right now? What is He doing right now? And then lastly, to tell, um, and by telling, there I really mean uh, proclaiming the gospel, explaining who Jesus Christ is and what He did on the cross. We have a way of talking about it called Matthew Theology, and uh, if you go to the next slide, we'll be a picture of that. Really simple way to talk about this. We live in a broken, fallen world, we're trying to fix what we can. So Jesus, God sent Jesus into the world to do what we weren't able to do. He addressed the two problems that most beset us, our idols and our sin. He becomes our Lord and our Savior to take care of our sin. And that incredible work is a gift. You open it. By faith, by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you open it. But then it's not over. You don't just sit there. God sends you back into that broken, sinful world to be an ambassador, to do his work, to proclaim his glory. There, what, 25 seconds or so. Um, you can talk about you can talk about the gospel. Now I'm saying you have to do it that way. That's one way. There are a lot of different ways. But we need to work on that so that when we have opportunity to share the gospel, we can go ahead and so some of us say, well, who am I to do this? You know, I, I'm not, I, I feel like, I feel like uh, I'm imposing myself on people if I share my faith, if I put this light on a stand. Um, but that's just the thing. Um, you're just a stand. Remember that. I, I think it was Miguel who said, we're trophies of God's grace. That's, that's what we are. We're, we're trophies of God's grace. And, and, and testifying, shining light, you know, we, we take too much on so much of the time. We just have to testify to the grace of God at work in our lives. We don't have to own the whole thing. Just be a stand. You don't have to try to be the one. So we talked a few weeks ago about who are your three. Maybe it's who are your five, who are your twelve people that you're pouring into as part of our series. We talked about that in relation to Jesus choosing the twelve disciples and the different mix of people that he settled on and how he went away and prayed. 
He really focused on these 12. He did life with them so they could see if there was some consistency there. Um, we asked you to think about and pray about who are your three and um, who, are you, who are you focusing your attention on. And I want to invite you to focus, to think about um, praying, asking, blessing, and sharing, and telling in relation to your three. Where are you at with, with those people or that group of people? Where are you in the process? Are you just sitting back and praying right now? waiting for God to open the doors for you to shine a light of grace into their lives? Or are you are you in that moment where you just need to get more information and ask and get to know the person? Are you in that place where they've made known to you, this is where I often get stuck, they've made known to you, these are my struggles in life. And you know you can enter in to bring blessing and help. And you're just sitting on it. But now you need to get off you know, your chair and get in there and, and bring blessing to this person's life and maybe take a risk. Um, to love them and to be Christ to them so they get a taste of the sacrificial love of Christ through you as you sacrifice for them. To be more transparent, to share this what I'm struggling with. Here's how God's meeting me in my struggle to tell. So that's the invitation. Um, we're sitting on some incredible news, news that needs to be blasted forth, that needs to be shined forth. And the question is, are we going to do that? That's critical. The boldness, there's a boldness that's required here to put the light where it goes, up in the ceiling, on the stand, so that it can shine forth. That's the call on us. Will you answer? Will you receive the invitation of Christ to become that stand to put the light on? Now that's the first piece. In the second part of this little text that we're looking at this morning, we find sort of an underlying assumption for the first piece. Uh, you can't put it out there until you first take it in. I would say that way. You can't put it out there until you, sometimes we get caught up putting it out there, okay, but we forget this key element. I can't keep putting it out there unless I'm also taking it in. And you see, you know, pastors blow up. They keep putting it out there, but they forget their own relationship with Christ. And then, as they keep putting it out there, they get hollower and hollower on the inside, and that's when you see those, those crises, those blow-ups, you know, and, and all kinds of bad things can happen. And it can happen not just to pastors, to any Christian, anybody who's following Christ can have this, but we're putting out, we're putting out, but we don't take it in at the same time, then we'll be overwhelmed. You can't give what you don't have is another way to say that. And the second saying addresses it in verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, and this is interesting. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And it's a kind of a unique metaphor that he's, Jesus is using here. We don't think of listening usually as a measurement, but that's that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen with a with a with a, a, a large measurement, a large volume, a large capacity. So to put this in physical terms, I remember when I was a kid, we'd go out on Halloween, you know, your parents would give you the little plastic bucket, and you'd go out and trick-or-treat it, and in about 10 minutes, that thing would be full. <laughs> and, and so then you would run home, and you'd, you'd toss the bucket, and eventually, as you got older, you figured out the game, you would get a pillowcase. <laughs> because the pillowcase, and then you would find the biggest pillowcase that you possibly because the volume in the pillowcase is so much greater than the volume of a plastic bucket. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's upsize your bucket. 
as you listen, as you take in the goodness of the gospel, as you listen to the word of God, upsize your bucket. Take in more, because the riches will be greater, and then you'll have more to pour out. Upsize your bucket. There was a pastor, so increase the volume of it, first of all. There was a pastor, and I, I couldn't find it. The, I, it's just somewhere in the recesses of my memory I read this. We did a study about spiritual growth in their church, and his biggest insight was that people just simply weren't sitting in the Word. They weren't reading Scripture. And, and, and one of the biggest problems they found is that people were staying up late at night on social media, and then they were so tired and, and unrejuvenated by that that they couldn't get up in the morning and give some time to the Lord to read Scripture. So one of the simplest ways for them to increase their bucket, their intake, was just simply to go to bed earlier and say no to things that are not as life-giving and get up a little bit earlier and say yes to the thing that is life-giving. And there are many ways we can talk about that. That's one way to increase your bucket. And I fear um, that for some of us, that might be one of the, the key things. Is I heard somebody say, I love to sleep in. Just sleep in on the front side of your sleep. Right? So go to bed earlier. And that way you get up and when you're fresh and you can make good decisions, you'll do the things that are going to actually be life-giving and transformative rather than those things. I guess you could say probably the same thing with television, maybe that's for some of us. But if we're spending so many hours, like the statistics say we are, in those social media, media-type things, there's just not going to be time for us to be marinating in the Word, in the Scripture. And that's what we desperately, desperately need. Um, to be able to pour it out and be taking it in. Okay. Also, there's this idea of increasing the clarity with which we hear the Word of God. And last week, we were going to be looking at the parable of the sower, and I skipped it to talk about, uh, to address specifically the election, so I'm going to smuggle it back in quickly here. <laughs> uh, this parable of the sower is a, one of the most famous parables that Jesus tells. And he basically, um, he says that there was a sower who went out to sow, and he sowed the seed, and some of it landed on uh, the, the ground where the birds came and snatched it. Some of it landed on a rocky path, and the sun came up, and it just was scorched quickly, the seeds, and it didn't grow. And some of it landed among the thorns, and it was choked out, the seed was choked out by the thorns. And this gives us really three images of what distorts our ability to listen to the what are the things that, what distorts our ability to listen to the word of God? And there's three things, and it turns out, then Jesus goes and he interprets, he said, the birds who snatch the seed are like Satan, or like the evil one who comes and takes away the word. And the um, scorched, the rocky soil is like the person who uh, faces tribulation or persecution, and then they, the, the root, the, they, they get scared and run the opposite direction, and so the word doesn't take root. They're afraid that if they accept the word, it's going to cause problems for them in relation to the world around them. And then he says the thorns are like the people who are caught up in their own selfish desires, and so that chokes out the word of God. So three ways that we can distort our intake of God's word. Satan, culture, and sin. That's what he's essentially saying. Satan, culture, and sin. So Satan comes along and, and, and wants to redirect us. Culture influences in ways that keep us from reading with clarity 
and then sin distorts our hearing of God's word. So on the Satan one, um, I was I saw this uh, remembrance of C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters, where it says that he this if you don't know the Screwtape Letters, it's basically a fictional set of letters that come from a demon speaking to uh, somebody who's just become a Christian. And it's the uncle of that demon is, is teaching him how to do a good job destroying the faith of this new Christian. That's the, that's the gimmick in the, in the story. And one of the letters starts like this. Be sure, the uncle says to the, 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 the novice demon, be sure that the patient remains completely fixated on politics. Now, this is not to say there aren't heavy, important, significant issues in our air politically right now that need to be addressed, but we need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we don't become fixated, because that's one of Satan's ploys, is to get us to be fixated on, um, on, on politics and to avoid some of the, the, the things that we really need to put our time into. So one example of how that happens. The second one is culture. How does culture? Um, culture works like this. You're reading the scripture and you're and you're 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 kind of taking in, you're like, but if I believe that, people will think of me X, Y, or Z. If I really listen to what the scripture is saying, people are gonna think ill of me. Right? That's how culture, that's how persecution and tribulation distorts our ability to hear the word of God because out of fear. We don't respond or we don't listen because we can't listen because of the potential consequences that will happen if we listen to Scripture. I think in this whole very intense political atmosphere, we are letting political discourse determine oftentimes our values and then divide us. So rather than listening to the whole counsel of God, it's very easy for us to allow the culture to determine our belief systems. And as we accept the sort of binary American political perspectives, we get pigeonholed and Satan gets a victory because oftentimes we start to alienate each other in the divisions. Amen. And we miss the whole counsel of God, which is greater than, and allowing the scripture to determine our values. So, for example, you know, what if Jesus is calling us to take a stand against abortion? and also to take a stand for racial justice. Where's the political party that does both of those? Okay. Our allegiance is to something higher and greater, and we can't let the culture define our thoughts and then pit us against each other. Okay. So we have to be very careful as we're reading, as we're, as we're increasing our intake, we have to be weary careful of the way that the cultural influences and forces all around us are shaping the way that we're thinking and sometimes keeping us from hearing God's word fully. And then the third one we have to be watching out for is sin and selfishness. This is where we're reading the scripture and we come across something and we say, but if I believe that, I'm going to lose X, Y, or Z. I'm going to if I really follow this, I'm going to hinder my ability to achieve the American dream. 
If I really follow this, some of the privileges that I enjoy might be on the chopping block. Okay? That sinful selfishness keeps us from hearing sometimes what God is trying to say to us in the Scripture. It becomes a distortion field as we read the Scripture. And we end up tossing out what we don't like, which doesn't benefit us, and keeping only that which benefits us. And we skip past the things. So Satan, culture, and sin combine together, Jesus is teaching us, to distort our ability to take in the Word. So if we're going to listen with clarity, we have to be wary of those three. We've got to be wary of them. And when we sit down to read our scripture, we have to, as we can, not allow these to conspire to steal the blessing that God would have for us in his word. All right, so put it out there, but first take it in. And let me just conclude with this thought. It sort of hopefully brings the two together, this idea of putting it out there and taking it. You know, presenting, when I'm doing a wedding and I'm standing up here ready and I'm presenting a couple, it's always better if I know them well. If I've been part of their process, maybe I've done pre-marriage counseling and I've seen, I've been been there when they've broken up and got back together again. And I've just seen all the the back and forth and all this. And, And then to see God bring it together, to stand up there, to be familiar with all of that, and then to present them, to proclaim it makes the moment that much more impactful, that much more Well, that's what Jesus started saying. He said, look, dive into what I am doing. The marriage between Christ and the body, the church that I am fashioning throughout the whole history of Scripture. Dive into that. Understand it intimately. Don't let the world, don't let Satan, don't let your own sin keep you from cherishing this incredible thing that I'm doing. So that when you stand up to proclaim it, to speak it, you know, it's coming from the depths of your heart. You've got experience with it. You know what it is. You have been transformed by it. So you're not suggesting to anybody something that hasn't already affected you. God, would you help us stand up and proclaim? Would you help us present to the world around us the beautiful marriage between the bride and the lamb? Without fear, this morning, would you shatter, would you break the bushels that we have been hiding under? Shatter them, rip them apart. Bring the lamp out from under the bed. Let it shine forth through the testimony, the unique and special testimony that each one of our lives is. To the grace, to the beauty, to the splendor of your redemptive work. moment to say yes to you this morning. And with fear and trembling, we, we venture out in our hearts to speak to you. We know you can hear all of us that we speak a yes, I will follow to you this morning. We 
don't know how it's going to work out, and the details aren't necessary. But yes, I hear your words. Don't put the light under a bushel basket. Don't put it under the bed. I understand the lampstand, but you will shine forth. And I want to be that. So help me in my weakness and frailty inability. Help me to love the people around me. We pray that in faith. We trust God that you will be faithful to meet us in our inadequacies to accomplish your vision in our lives as we seek to